You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome to episode 47 of our great podcast. Later on the show, ladies and gentlemen, we are overjoyed and busting our buttons to <laughs> announce that uh, we somehow successfully convinced uh, WNYC radio legend Brian Lehrer to come on our silly program <laughs> and talk to us a little bit about uh, his baseball fandom and to take a quiz to see just how well he knows the difference between Yankees and Mets fans. Prepare to have your mind opened. We certainly expanded. did. Our, our mind was opened, Alan, I would say, to the fact that uh, he is a professional radio person. <laughs> we are pretenders to the throne. And we are drunk. <laughs> um, so episode 47, uh, 47 being the percent of Americans that are blood-sucking parasites on the American system for not paying any federal income tax, according to one Willard Mitt Romney. Um, while much has been made of this comment in regards to how it changed the momentum of the presidential election, I think that the most telling part of this whole gaffe experience was how comfortable Mitt appeared to be on the Candid Cam tape. Um, it was shocking to see a man who is usually stiffer than an Amish scarecrow that has fallen into a vat <laughs> of starch, relaxed, and simply shooting the shit. Uh, and <laughs> interestingly enough, 47% includes literally no one on a major league roster. <laughs> did did you just say stiffer than an Amish scarecrow that has fallen into a vat of starch? I did say that. 47 is also <laughs> the most successful of the Kalashnikov line of rifles. Colloquially known as the AK-47, this durable mass-produced weapon was the weapon of choice for the Soviet Union in their in the entire Cold War military era. And in 2011, a robbery of the home of the Tampa Bay Rays slugging third baseman Evan Longoria resulted in the theft of his AK-47, which is interesting considering that at the time it was a rental property, which means that the assault rifle was one thing that Evan just couldn't travel without. <laughs> couldn't leave it at home, had to bring his AK with him. And finally, the 47th Kalashnikov in the line can also be a lovely fashion accessory, as evidenced by a gold-plated and diamond-studded AK-47 that was seized in Honduras earlier this year from drug smugglers. Nothing says style like 30 rounds and 24 carats. And good news, uh, mentally unstable Americans. <laughs> per the U.S. Senate, as of this week, you're still allowed to buy one of those. For, uh, from anyone on the internet, no questions asked. And of course, we are recording today on April 20th, 2013, which besides being Sam's birthday, many happy returns, sir. Thank you very much. Is also the birthday of Dodgers manager Don Mattingly. Did uh, you know that you shared a birthday with Mr. Mr. Mattingly? I, I refer to him as my partner in birth. <laughs> And it's also 45 years to the day, I'm sorry, 95 years to the day, today, from when Manfred von Richthofen, also known as the Red Baron, shot down his 79th and 80th victims in his final day of flying before his death on April 21st, 1918. Well, uh, I think uh, it's pretty clear that I come from an auspicious, uh, I was going to say bloodline, but... <laughs> That's not true at all. Dateline? <laughs> I was wondering, uh, do you think, what's his name? Manfred von what? Richthofen. Richthofen. Do you ever think uh, German, when he was... such a beautiful language. <laughs> just really rolls off the tongue. 
Do you think when he was making new friends, he ever said, uh, uh, Hello, I am Manfred. I would like to be your main man. <laughs> Almost certainly not in any case. Okay. Nothing else uh, has bad has ever happened on this date, April 20th. Uh, look that up. Really exciting to have the Baltimore Orioles manage to take the first two games of a weekend <laughs> series with the Dodgers, yes. the highest highest payroll in professional sports by uh, a country mile, I <laughs> by a country mile, by the GDP of Indonesia, <laughs> by the GDP of, of Indonesia, and GDP. Um, interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting acronym for you to bring up because you put a lowercase i in there. And, and it's Matt Weeders. Uh, Matt Weeders, thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> no, but it was, uh, you know, two uh, very difficult difficult wins. Uh, but once again, the bats uh, managing to answer the call. Yes. In in a difficult situation where the starting pitching was maybe giving up a couple more runs than you might like. Indeed. And nice to see it happen in a doubleheader, too. Uh, yep. Sweeping doubleheaders has not been the Orioles' M.O. over the last few years. <laughs> Um, that's that's fair. That's a fair. That's a fair way to put that. Not that. Not that. I mean, not that teams should be judged on whether or not they're good at sweeping doubleheaders. Because doubleheaders seen in the wild about as frequently as a quality start from Jake Arrieta. <laughs> and as Gary Thorne said, the team that wins the first game of doubleheader has about a fifty percent chance statistically of winning the second game after that. <laughs> I think Gary's been spending a little <laughs> too much time on the Zen cones lately. It's true. Is it cones, by the way? Not koans. Coens. Coans. Coans? Coens? Coens? Like uh, like the filmmaking brothers of the same name? Indeed. Okay. Because, that's correct, because um, Jeff Bridges was on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me recently. Was he? And mentioned that the dude, the character of the dude, often put forward Zen Coens. Ah. And he sort of considered the dude a very Zen character. Yes. And someone made that exact joke oh. about the brothers who directed it. Oh. Well, I would like to state for the record that I have not yet listened to that episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and will not be editing this little riff out of the final version of this podcast. Stay strong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Alan, I would say I would say the, the storyline of late, I think, for the Orioles is that the Bats have been getting the job done when it counts, but um, the starting pitching seems uh, pathologically incapable of going past the fifth inning. And it seems as though every single Orioles pitcher goes through a uh, a long time of being completely unable to find the strike zone. Even Hamill ha- was having those sort of like six straight balls sort yep. of problems. Yep. We're going to need, if this team is going to be competitive, we're going to need to get another starting pitcher. We are going to need another starting pitcher, and I would suspect that you are of the same frame of mind as I am, uh, which is that... Jair Jurgens and Freddie Garcia are not the answer that I'm hoping for to that question. I'm hoping that Steve Johnson is the answer, so <laughs> I'm not entirely rational. <laughs> I would say you're no less rational than somebody who's like, hey, it's, not, it's not a big deal, we got Jair down on the farm. <laughs> That's Speaking of ridiculous Masson stuff, by the way, since we were talking about Gary Thorne, one of my favorite things that they've been doing lately is putting up images of Zach Britton uh, and Jair Jurgens and Freddie Garcia having lights out outings against Triple uh, A batters. Triple A batters, and they're like, so might see them in the major leagues for a little while. As though, like, 
getting out if if getting out AAA batters at an okay rate of success <laughs> was and something that augured major league success, uh, we would be the Philadelphia Phillies of two thousand nine. Sure, and the the thing of it is is that those uh, you know the the cutaways to the stat line for AA Bowie. Are meant for up and coming prospects, right? Not aging retreads, <laughs> not people who had mm, maybe marginal success at the major league level four years ago, <laughs> then cratered. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, we still have not found our Nate McClough of 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 the starting pitcher ilk. That's mm. not true. That's not true. Jason Hamill, I think, is our Nate McClough. Of, I would the starting say pitching category. Gonzo is our Nate McLeod, the starting pitching category. Well, I would counter. I think Gonzo's a little different because Gonzo had never even been in the bigs before. That's true. He hadn't had a chance to flame out. That's true. That's He's true. doing that this year. <laughs> <laughs> right on time. <laughs> so uh, before we move on, with the, 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 the offense performing and the starting pitching maybe not performing, how long before we see Gossman throw a major league pitch? As a starter for the Baltimore Orioles. As a starter? As a starter for the Baltimore Orioles. As a starter, I think uh, July. I think late July. Uh, I think I think it's we're a matter of weeks away from the Jair era. The Jaira. I think the Garcera uh, comes shortly after oh, that. Oh, could it not? When uh, when the Jair Jurgens bicep falls off I'm or his groin really explodes, I'm not excited for the Freddie Garcia era in Baltimore. I'm I'm not either, particularly because Garcera is the best I can come <laughs> up with, and that's not even enough fun to to get me through. The Jaira is pretty good though. The Jaira I feel good about. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's inevitably uh, consigned towards doom <laughs> as well. So it'll be a short day. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I do think uh, Buck and Dan are not going to stand for too many bad outings in a row. Like I think uh, Jair Jurgens and Freddie Garcia are going to be on much shorter leashes than Arietta has been so far. Well, they should be. Because, As well, they should be. Because we know what their ceiling is, whereas theoretically Arietta's ceiling was still to be found. I think we found it now and it's fairly low. It is. Uh, and, and, and made out of just really firm, <laughs> firm material. Yeah. Very like difficult solid, to get packed through. clay. Packed clay. <laughs> All right, Alan, let's jump to our interview now. Uh, you pretty excited about this interview? I could not be more excited to talk with uh, my friend, my mentor, uh, and someone who really got me into New York City and got me into radio, uh, and I think he's an amazing human being, Brian Lair, host of WNYC's The Brian Lair Show, and who hosts a, uh, a, a TV show as well, BrianLair.tv. He's won Peabody Awards, he's won Emmys, and he's going to come talk to us about baseball. Could not be more excited. We are going to get to that right now. I used to listen to Brian Lair's radio show every day when I was a taxi driver here in New York. And it was my favorite two hours of every shift. Made me feel like I was plugged into a city that was otherwise trying to run me off the road. <laughs> Quite literally, literally. figuratively. Yep. <laughs> so Brian joins us on the phone right here on Baltimore On. Those morons who follow the non-sporting news know this has been an extraordinarily fraught week for America. From the tragic events in Boston, to the New York mayoral race finally heating up, to the Senate's decision to not take any action on gun control, including basic background checks favored by 90% of Americans, there's a lot to analyze and a lot to unpack. 
Um, we're joined now by a Peabody Award-winning and Emmy-nominated journalist to talk about, well, none of those things, really. He's the host of The Brian Lair Show on WNYC, the host of BrianLair.tv on CUNY TV, and my former boss, Brian. Welcome to Baltimoreans. Hey, Baltimoreans. How you doing? Hello from New York. Uh, now, instead of utilizing you for the sage analysis of current events or asking you to enlighten us on the pressing issues of the day, we're going to talk about baseball. Um, and as a consummate professional journalist, you manage to avoid taking sides in interviews, but that's not really going to fly here on this program. This is a show about passion, largely uninformed opinions, and the irrational love we all have for sports, so we want to know... The next time the Mets and the Yankees play a Subway Sounds Series. Like, by the way, with that formula, you're grooming yourselves for success. <laughs> uninformed opinion, especially, really makes it in the media. It's, it's, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a key part of any good sports journalism. We're, we're thinking there's a niche there. <laughs> um, the next time the Mets and the Yankees play in a Subway Series, which outcome breaks your heart more? Well, if you're asking me if I'm more of a Yankees or a Mets fan, I actually am one of those people who goes a bit back and forth. So I'm more of a Yankees fan and in many recent years. So I root for both teams when they're playing anybody else. I tend to root for the Yankees when they're playing the Mets, but I even sometimes root for the Mets. So that's how scrambled a New Yorker I am my baseball passion. <laughs> well, that actually, uh, that actually leads into our next question, um, which is, you know, uh, New York is a pretty wild mix of personalities, ethnicities, origin stories, but almost everyone seems to be at least a little bit of a sports fan. So we're wondering what role you think sports plays in creating kind of a unified New York headspace for people. It's really interesting. And I know this is one of the themes that you explore on the show. Why do we love sports when it's just a bunch of men doing silly things with bats and balls or tennis rackets or whatever? And... I have a couple of thoughts, if you want to hear them. They're certainly not going to solve the problem and answer the question. (laughs) Problem-solving, like informed opinions, not really at the top of our to-do list. (laughs) It's it's true. I'm playing right into the whole uninformed opinions modality here. (laughs) Yes. But one thing is that sports are like the arts. Beautiful abstraction and improvisation that somehow represent our lives. Struggle and effort with occasional triumphs and defeats, good and evil, crime and punishment, (laughs) and we also just get attached to the individuals on our teams, you know, even though they keep keep changing people, uh, say, oh, what what do you root for? You root for the uniform, because it's not the same guys every year, which is true, but a, a game with people you don't know isn't nearly as interesting, but if you watch Adam Jones 100 times a year, and you watch him develop, and TV cameras take you so close, you can, you know, see every face there you begin to care about the guys as if they're your friends or relatives. So just a couple of thoughts. Abstraction, not that different from why we love music uh, in a funny kind of way, and that we really do root for individuals we know and we think we know them. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's one of the things about a 162-game season that you don't even get uh, in sort of the armored and helmeted football season or anything along those lines because there's just so much time and so much repetition you get to see these guys again and again. That's true. George Carlin once did a very funny routine about the differences between baseball and football. And he said, in football, you wear a helmet. 
In baseball, you wear a cap. <laughs> in football, you're trying to get to the end zone. In baseball, you're trying to go home. <laughs> yeah, it's touchy feely. And actually, if uh, if listeners want to hear an excerpt from that, um, our guest from last week, David Temple, played a clip from it on his show. I believe it was episode five of Stealing Home, which is themed violence. Um, and he plays a <laughs> clip from that exact George Carlin routine. Well, that's pretty funny that that came up two weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we had a caller recently suggest that no team in the American League East will win more than 90 games. And we're wondering if you think the Yankees will be able to prove that caller wrong. And from the Mets side of your brain, uh, we're wondering if you think the NL East is ready for the reign of terror that is Matt Harvey's fastball. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, okay, on the Yankees, I will go out on the limb of uninformed opinion and predict they will win the American East, the League East, right. and they will win 91 games. Okay, so okay. just over that? that number. I like it. They're, they're already overperforming, and if they can avoid any more big-time injuries, and that's huge because they're certainly going to run out of depth, I think that they will win the American League East. The teams are pretty even, as you know, your guy and everybody says, and anyone could rise or fall in that division, certainly including the Yankees could crash and burn. Uh, despite their fast start. But if they're replacement players, like Hafner and Overby, uh, they used to call you know players who play during a strike replacement players. <laughs> so the Yankees, I'll call these guys replacement players, like Hafner and Overby and Wells. If they can just keep this up until Teixeira and Granderson are healthy, who knows about Jeter at this point, so far so good. And I think the rotation is solid. I like what Phil Hughes has done so far in a couple of his starts. And Mariano Rivera looks to be Mariano Rivera. He will always be Mario. I think he can pitch until he's seventy. So, what do you, what do you think about the Mets? Are they are they uh, are they going to make the playoffs this year? What can I say? The <laughs> Mets are the Mets. <laughs> They'll get your hopes up and then break your heart. The <laughs> other seem... day they had leads in both ends of a doubleheader in Colorado. One of those leads was eight to two, and yeah. they lost both yeah. games. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, they seem to be well on their way to that build-you-up-just-to-break-you-down season. Well, yeah, that... not as bad as the Jets. Well, those two... Tradition of both those teams. But having said that, they continue to be easy to like. Yeah. Ike, David Wright, Daniel Murphy, now John Buck, and, of course, Matt Harvey. There's a lot to root for with the Mets, as there seems to be every year with individuals but not enough to win, and especially in that division where the Nationals and the Braves are yeah. just so good. So the uh, the quiet confidence of the Yankees fan and the uh, grim acceptance of the Mets fan does a nice segue into why we asked you here today. Um, and after hosting a call-in radio show for 25 years, you may have talked to more New Yorkers than anyone ever. Um, and everyone knows that Yankees fans and Mets fans have specific personality traits, but we want to know if you can tell them apart simply by the tenor of their voices. So we've got a series of messages from different New Yorkers who support either the New York champions or the New York lovable losers. And we're going to see if there really is something distinctive about the different fan bases. Uh, these voicemails this, this contain... This gives me a chance to sound really stupid when I get <laughs> these wrong. So. Again, that'll help you fit right in on this show. <laughs> Any opportunity to sound really stupid without actually 
any consequences yep. is a good moment in your life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so we're going to go based on accent and context about their lives, but we're not going to hear who they actually are. Uh, and here's your first clip. We're going to start you off with an easy one uh, and see so if you can get your feet wet. I don't think that this one's going to make you feel particularly stupid. Hello, Baltimoreans. Hello, Brian Lehrer. Uh, big fan. Grew up in New York. Uh, I am a baseball fan from New York. I was born in Manhattan. I no longer live there. I am no longer in New York State. My early baseball memories involve uh, the 1996 season, meaning I've probably given everything else away, uh, and uh, my favorite beer at the ballpark costs approximately uh, as much as a hip surgery for a certain disgraced third baseman. <laughs> so there's your first uh, audio clip. Well, um, since he referenced the 1996 season, then he must be a Yankees fan. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> season was actually my single favorite baseball season of, of all time. Because I had been a Yankee fan, through that whole losing period, you know, people forget that from the early 80s until uh, 1995, they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's and a... I lived not that far from the stadium, and I went to a bunch of games every year in that entire period and kept rooting for them to try to climb the mountain through the Ricky Henderson years and the John Mattingly years and everything. And when any team, even the Yankees, has been in the drought for that long, then you finally get there. It's part of why we love sports. It is such an exhilarating feeling. And then when they kept winning year after year in the late 90s, uh, it was great to root for them, but it was not anything emotionally like 1996. And that was my single favorite year to be a baseball fan. So I'm guessing since he referenced 96 of there, that he's a Yankee fan. Correct, correct. You are 100% correct. I'm guessing that you feel a similar amount of elation at having a perfect score so far in the quiz. <laughs> one for one. Wow, and one and oh. I heard him say third base. I was thinking maybe he was talking to Charlie about Charlie Hayes' catch <laughs> to, uh, to end it all and everybody mobbing everybody. But anyway, no, like a, like a, a yeah, I would have given it away. Like a true Yankee fan, he was instead ending on a cynical note. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, let's go to clip number two. Hi, my name is Dana. I was born in uh, upstate New York, near Ithaca, and I now reside in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I came to be a baseball fan because I just loved throwing and catching balls, and I am a gay woman, so that doesn't have the joke in it that you wanted to, but I just really (laughs) love throwing and catching things, and what's better to do that than to watch it happen on the TV. A random fact about me is that I love Robin Ventura. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, well, <laughs> that makes it easy since Robin Ventura was in that. We're starting you off easy. We're starting you off easy. And uh, he might have been a Yankee, too, for 10 minutes. I'm not sure. But but he was pretty beloved as a Met. Is he not the guy who hit the Grand Slam single? I don't One of the Mets when they were I don't know. rising in the late 90s um, hit a walk-off grand slam in, in one crucial game. And forgive me for not remembering what it was. It might have been a playoff game. It might have been a late-season game. And it, it was a walk-off grand slam, but 
he got mobbed after touching first base. <laughs> Didn't make it oh. past first. <laughs> and see. it became known to the Mets announcers as the Grand Slam single. The Grand Slam single. Because he never did get credit for scoring the run. <laughs> so they ended up uh, only only getting credit for the three runs instead of the four? It uh, was, I'm not sure. Uh, it was, it was Robin Ventura. The other guys all scored, and if he got the RBIs on his record, <laughs> I didn't get that deep into the stats. But anyway, it Robin was, Ventura, I'll say she's a Mets fan. And lives in Brooklyn, that's another clue. Yep. Correct, and uh, yeah, you're, you're you're right. It was Ventura who hit that in the in the uh, bottom of the fifteenth inning, and that would be Game Five of the nineteen ninety nine National League Championship Series. There you go. So I had the I had the basics right. <laughs> no, more than the basics, the All details right. as well. You are two for two in our quiz. Uh, we're now moving into slightly harder territory. So get ready for call number three. Hey, this is Bobby. I'm calling for the uh, New York City culture baseball game. I uh, was born in Queens, raised on Long Island, and currently live in Astoria. I became a baseball fan reading uh, box scores at my grandmother's house in Queens. My favorite type of beer is a pumpkin ale or a chocolate box, although at a baseball game I'll always reach for, uh, for a Bud Light or a cheap light beer. And a random fact about me, Chipper Jones once gave me the middle finger. Have a good one. <laughs> well, that guy's definitely a Mets fan. I mean, besides <laughs> geography... <laughs> Who else would even induce a middle finger from Chipper Jones? Right. <laughs> it's a it's a badge of honor, I think, for many a many a Mets fan. <laughs> All right, Brian is three for three for those of you keeping score at home. Uh, so let's see if we can stump him. So far, uh, we have not been able to. I was thinking though, was he part of a group chanting Larry, <laughs> Larry? Which in that brief moment when the Mets thought they could actually lord it over the Braves in that era. Yeah. Uh, Chipper Jones' real name being Larry or Lawrence. lasted about 10 seconds. That became a taunting chant, but it's so ironic, you know, when you do that taunting chant to somebody who winds up, winds up just being so much better than your guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got, Orioles fans got a little taste of that in the uh, Red Sox game last week where Manny Machado was up. Uh, with the game on the line, and the crowd was chanting, Manny, Manny, and then he hit a three-run bomb over the Green Monster. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing is sweeter. All right, on we go. All right, here we go. Hi, my name is Matt. I was born on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, roughly equidistant between Zabars and Fairway. I currently uh, live in the D.C. area. I became a baseball fan. Well, I've always been a baseball fan, but uh, I became much more intense a baseball fan after I got married uh, through my, my father-in-law's enthusiasm. My favorite beer is the Six Point Sweet Action. And a random non-baseball fact about me, I studied Latin, Greek, and Sanskrit in college. That was Latin, Greek, and Sanskrit as an undergraduate in college. The trifecta. <laughs> so, Upper West Side... If he studied Latin and Greek, he probably went to some elite school. He's probably in the 1%. <laughs> and so we all know the Yankee fans are the 1%. <laughs> they are entitled. Everyone else is the 47%. The moochers, the takers to their makers, if you're a Yankee fan. So I will project way beyond what he actually gave us. And guess that that guy's a Yankee fan. <laughs> All right, oh. that's our first stumper because uh, Matt is actually a Mets fan, and we were uh-huh. thinking that the giveaway was going to be his sort of esoteric and uh, academic take on life. <laughs> yeah, a need a need to fill his mind with other things besides baseball to distract <laughs> himself from the disappointment. 
Aha. Yes, I was wondering if the microbrew was was a clue there. <laughs> okay. All right. So so we but were I too couldn't far. figure out which way that would go. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so you are now. I would. Uh, so your record currently stands at four and one. Um, no matter. Or sorry, three and one. Uh, no matter what happens, you have done an unbelievable <laughs> job on the quiz. Um, we have one final one for you, uh, and we think uh, this one is about as hard as they could as it could possibly be. Uh, so here it comes. Hey, Alan, Sam, and Brian Lair. Uh, this is Megan calling about uh, why uh, I am a baseball fan. I am from Endicott, New York, which is a small town. I currently live in Brooklyn, though I did live in Queens for about 10 years. Uh, what else do we have here? I can't read my own handwriting. I'm sorry. A uh, fact about me, I am a doula, okay? Uh, my favorite beer, hmm, I like all of the beers, uh, specifically IPAs, say Harpoon IPA. And, oh, I became a fan, I was raised on it. I hope that this helps. Bye, guys. So good luck sorting through that one. <laughs> so about 32 uh, misdirectives in that one. Yeah, not many clues there. Like, which fan would a doula root for? I really... <laughs> Uh, which team, I mean, would a doula root for? I, I, I don't have much to go on there, guys. Uh, <laughs> but I'll say, as somebody who likes all beers, she's not an elitist and she's a Mets fan. Ah. Well, uh, I am sorry to report that uh, we have uh, we have thrown you two effective curveballs here at the end of the <laughs> no. quiz. <laughs> no. Uh, Megan is actually a Yankees fan. Um, but uh, that one, uh, really, I don't think was fair. <laughs> It was designed to be one that was a uh, a a multiple misdirection, uh, all all off speed stuff. Was there an actual clue in there? Not really, but you know, when you're up there against a junk baller, sometimes you just got to take a swing and hope for the best. Yeah, right. That was the knuckleball of quiz questions. Yeah, I was looking for clues like, you know, Yankee fans think it's a good day only if they win. Right. Mets fans are happy with a nice day at the park. <laughs> you know, the or beer was after cold. something doesn't go well, Mets fans say, nice try. And Yankees fans say, you suck. <laughs> I was looking for those kinds of clues. <laughs> well, uh, the good news is that, uh, Brian, you did finish our quiz uh, with three questions correct out of five. So you win. There is no prize. <laughs> Except for the knowledge of a job well done. <laughs> so it's kind of a Mets outcome. <laughs> and it is a mystery of life, guys, like time and space, why we get so emotionally invested in these games. You know, I know a billion people live in wretched poverty. I know terrorists are on the loose. And yet I gave Mariano Rivera a standing ovation at a spring training game last, <laughs> month. last month. Why? Who knows? I mean, good teachers and social workers should get standing ovations. <laughs> but we do it for guys who throw baseballs. And beautiful. And beautiful. we probably always will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian Lair, for coming on Baltimoreans, And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have fun. Enjoy the season. Appreciate it. You're listening.
listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith, and my name is Sam Dingman. Alan, uh, at the beginning of our conversation, which has just concluded with Brian Lair, uh, got may- deep like Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> he uh, he zisued us <laughs> on uh, a little bit of the underpinning, a little bit about the underpinnings of why we are drawn to sports. Sam, are you a little bit worried that Brian just? encapsulated the entire point of this show well enough that we are essentially done. We could wrap production right here and feel like uh, we tried 47 times <laughs> to get it right, and on the 47th time, Brian Lehrer got it right in one take. Right. Well, let's keep talking anyway. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so Brian said some things about our compulsion to follow sports, our addiction to baseball, that got me thinking a little bit about this justification that people often come up with for me on my behalf when I'm trying to explain to them why I love baseball so much and why I follow it so obsessively, which is that they say, well, it must be escapism for you. And Mm. my answer is always, no, but then I don't have anything to put after that (laughs) ellipsis. And the thing I think that I realized recently is that baseball is not escapism because it can't possibly be escapism. It's a trap. <laughs> and and I'll explain this. Uh, this was prompted by Matt Weider's walk-off Grand Slam versus the Rays last ah, week. That was a good uh, feeling. That was a fine moment in American history, I think. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed the little bat flip yes. at the end of it. Which we have a very nice picture of up on BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com. Uh, not, that makes it sound like we took the picture, uh, like we were at <laughs> we the game. We stole a very nice picture. <laughs> <laughs> through through the magic of the internet and Tumblr, which makes it so that uh, you don't even have to go and looking and do your own research. You can right. just pluck things from your timeline. Um, we reblogged a post that somebody else had put up that had a picture of this. Um, but when he hit that Grand Slam, I thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment that people will look back on as the turning point in Matt Weider's career when he went from very good to truly great. Mm. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. But the fact is, I'm looking for it to be true. Because accepting it as a random event in a meaningless athletic contest is not enough. Hmm. Baseball, I think, creates these nested narratives. And the second you bite on to one of those narratives, wherever you get in, you are sunk. <laughs> Let's say that you decide you like a particular team. Soon enough, you're aware of how that team is doing in a given season. So you're now plugged into the high-level narrative of what's at stake for them to win or lose a particular game. And that's enough of a story for you for a while. Until you begin to get a sense of how this season relates to that team's historical track record. Hmm. And so then the narrative deepens and takes on this issue of legacy and right and wrong, and who deserves success in life, and how that success should or should not be earned. And then, at that moment, you think, I am at the highest and most hyperbolic level at which I could possibly interpret my love of baseball. (laughs) And you are. But then baseball does this wonderfully diabolical thing, which is that the next level of engagement is actually to dive back down again to an even more granular level than where you started. Because you start learning the narrative of a given at-bat, mm-hmm. the narrative of a particular matchup, 
of a particular player in a given situation. You start reading blogs where Harvard-educated statisticians have run simulations on the possible outcome of literally any pitch to every single player who's ever lived and created a ranked set of probable outcomes that can point to highly educated guesses at how all these narratives will end. And even at that point, where we have all of this information at our disposal, the narrative always finds a way to twist in some way that we couldn't have expected. In the last of the 10th inning of an Orioles-Rays game with the bases loaded and the score tied at six, Matt Wieters comes up and the Rays manager knows that Matt Wieters very often hits the ball on the ground <laughs> in those scenarios. Usually directly to a charging shortstop. Absolutely. It's almost like he's aiming it at him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's miraculous. And so because the Rays manager, Joe Madden, the Mad Silver Fox, knows this, he brings in his right fielder mm. to the infield, meaning he has five infielders, a wildly unconventional move that he can get away with because his mastery of the probabilities of various situational outcomes is more widely respected than any other manager in recent memory. And then on the first pitch after he makes that change, <laughs> Matt Weider swings away and hits a grand slam. Orioles fans exult, not just at the fact that the team has won a hard-fought victory against a tough division rival in a season where said division seems guaranteed to be a dogfight, but furthermore at the fact that Matt Weeders has delivered it when it seems so likely that he would <laughs> fail yet again, slipping another imperceptible notch further from the infinite potential we once believed him to have. Now, we find ourselves snapped back to the precipice of hope wishing simultaneously that we could freeze time forever in this moment and yet wishing tomorrow was already over so that we could watch tomorrow night's game and right. see if the narrative continues in that direction. That is a never-ending cycle whose power is far greater than any resistance I personally could ever hope to muster. And once you've come to appreciate a moment like that with that amount of simultaneous complexity and raw passion, you realize, I think, that you haven't escaped from mm. anything. If anything, you have been ensnared in a complex and elegant trap, one you cannot escape from, even if you wanted to. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you. I think that's beautiful. And I, 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 I think that... I apologize uh, for monologuing at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think that the uh, concept of escapism, however, is more designed to be an escape from the humdrum realities of everyday life. Yes. So, in fact... We are in the same way that uh, we enjoy movies or novels or the uh, eccentricities, say, of the universe of Star Wars, mm. which I think has a very similar level of engagement, by the way, to your top <laughs> level, then deep dive. Right. Um, for those of you who choose to get that far in, like myself. Um, <laughs> but I think that, that there is still a, uh, a question of, of, of whether or not this is a part of our lives with a capital relevant L. To which I would say, um, so what? <laughs> I mean, that's that's always been the charge for me of like it, it, escapism in the sense of uh, it's not me swinging the bat, but I think that that is true of any sort of quote unquote entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's always going to be a, a question of um, engaging, like you said, in these deeper narratives and in these questions of uh, of good and evil and right and wrong and trying to find your way through a complicated life and then taking those lessons and bringing them back to what you do every day mm -hmm. and what you how you interact with like a, in, in a daily life mm -hmm. it seems to me that uh, that 
for the charge of escapism to be really relevant, it would be something that we, where you try to block out everything and only do focus on the baseball. Whereas for me, and I think also for you, a lot of what happens in the baseball ends up affecting and reflecting and being a part of everyday life. So in fact, it's not as it's the same amount of input to everyday life as reading a poem or as uh, engaging in and 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 a work of art. Ah, okay, okay. I could see that. I could see that. Is that you? You then you you engage with this thing, and then you take something with it. You, you take something from it with you out into the world that affects your doings in imperceptible ways. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I think that, that 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 that's part of the narrative of playing the game the right way, mm-hmm. or doing things right, or sure, or running out the grounder, or all of those sort of like, well, he plays the game the right way. Right. Why do we care about that? It's because we fundamentally want people to play by the rules. Right. And we want to feel as though if I go out and I pay my taxes and if I go out and I hold the door at an elevator for somebody, it's because we're all fundamentally doing the game the right way. Right. And when we don't and when you're upset at someone who's like, you could have just held the subway door for me, dude. You don't right. have to be like a, you know, come on, man. <laughs> it's because they're not playing the game the right way, goddammit. They're not playing the game the right way. <laughs> they're and not I think- following in the tradition of Earl Weaver. <laughs> right. That was not a Weaverian uh, way of behaving on this public transportation <laughs> Which is system. why when I'm standing on the streets of New York and screaming at someone, Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver, again and again, they don't understand what's going on. And I feel awkward. They feel awkward. It's just not great. I should probably, the next time you do that, instead of cackling maniacally, I should probably just say, Alan, Alan, you're doing it again. You're doing that thing again. Or you could take the person aside and explain to them what's going on. It doesn't, <laughs> That's true. What, there are lots of positive ways out of the situation. Yeah. I, do you think there's a component to it also, though, of, like, w- we have these ideals about the way that we want to see things done, and when we see them reflected in professional sports, it makes us feel, like, affirmed somehow to see these values being carried out at a level of, what's the word I'm looking for, at a level of, um, not fame, but at a level of exposure mm. that is an order of magnitude above anything we'll ever get to. Um, and it makes us feel like somehow closer to these people who are able to do physical acts that we can't do, but seem to live their lives according to the same precepts that we do. Right. And so in some way, therefore, we are like them or yep. they are like us. Yeah. No, we are like them because it's aspirational, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. We are fully out of time. Intern Scotty is angrily tapping his watch and suggesting that we wrap it up already. And what Scotty doesn't realize is that means we got to skip his segment. So we're going to do that. <laughs> Sorry, Scotty. We're going to skip the interns guy, checks the facts, and get right to thank yous. Thank you so much for the people who took the time to call in and throw Brian a curveball. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you to Brian Lehrer for calling in at all. Thank you for the folks who uh, also called and did not get on the air, had a lot of interesting calls, and did not have time for all of them with the master of uh, all things radio. Indeed. If you would like to call, you can do that at any time. 909-RIB-WARS is the number to call. You can uh, also leave us a uh, drop us a line at baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find links to all of our old shows and all the ways to contact us, and you can find out how to sponsor a segment on the show by going to baltimoreonspodcast.com. Also, go there for the chuckles on the daily. Yeah, because we got the chuckles coming on the on the 365. And, of course, 
Thank you to Mark York for our amazing theme song. Thank you to the band Weather Report, who we've never met, <laughs> and whose music we are sort of stealing for the interstitial sounds you hear, which is the song Birdland uh, from the album Heavy Weather. And the song behind us now is <laughs> Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. So many thank yous. <laughs> and thank you, Alan Smith. I've, I've had a very fine time recording this episode. Thank you, you Sanding. We're going to hug each other and sign off. Goodbye. Goodbye. You could do, and now we're